I've been waiting since before the beginning for this episode, where we visit the Inuit culture of the Arctic Circle to see why you should always be sure about what types of seeds you're planting in your garden, because you never know what type of pest you're going to end up with. And for our fact, we have a Scandinavian indigenous people whose shaman have a pretty fly way to traverse worlds. And yes, that was an origin-slash-creation myth play on words to start the episode, because we're nothing if not terrible joke-telling folklore dorks here on the Colored Folklore Podcast. Episode 4, The Arctic, Inuit Creation Myth. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sir. I, I have got to uh, break with tradition here to introduce first the talented Jacqueline, the genius behind our episode cover art. The look that she has painted on the raven's face just, oh, I can't look at it one single time without laughing. I mean, ever since she first sent me the sketch, and uh, I absolutely love it. She's a rock star, and the reason why our podcast looks so good. Arthur, another reason why the podcast has a uh, not-bad-in-the-least visage. Thank you for the show's logo and our introductory music right there that I was talking over. is from the music collective All Good Folks, and their song is Mr. Mischief. I'm your host, Gree. And you are listening to the Colored Folklore Podcast. The podcast that picks you up and drops you in the middle of a remote part of the world, at least as far as the indigenous storytelling goes, and gives you a taste of the local culture, starting off with a story and then ending with a fact. Last week, we brought you the story of Sky Woman from the Oneida people of North America. And this week, we're diving into a creation myth from the Inuit people of the Arctic Circle. But before we do that... We're going to take a look at the Inuit people themselves. Now, I want to give full disclosure here. Before researching the culture and the peoples, I had no idea the depth of the culture in the Arctic Circle. I, I'm not going to do justice here to anyone involved. And I'm, I'm sincerely very, very sorry for that. But I would like to try. And just for starters, circumpolar. That is a word I didn't know before researching this episode. Circumpolar peoples. It's an umbrella term for those living in the Arctic Circle. Going all the way back, let's take a look at how culture popped up in the region in the first place. The current agreed-upon earliest known peoples in the Arctic Circle can be traced to approximately 2500 BCE, before current era, and are called the ASTT, Arctic Small Tool Tradition. The people to come after the ASTT are the Dorset culture, which evolved the way that they did due to all the changes in technology and the resultant economic changes from 1050 to 550 BCE. From there, a transition takes place between the Dorset to the Thule around the 9th and 10th century. And around 1300 to 1400 current era, the Inuit, the next culture after the Thule and their descendants, are thought to have settled. Greenland. From there, the Inuit migrated throughout the Arctic into Russia, Canada, and the United States. Currently, there are over 40 different indigenous groups that join the Inuit in calling the Arctic Circle their home. 
Now, it would be gravely negligent of me to do an episode on the Inuit and not at least mention in part all of the difficulties that these people currently face, not to mention have faced in the past. The Little Ice Age from 1600 to 1850 vastly changed their way of life when the region became much colder. Europeans arriving in that very same century, the 1800s, brought along with them Christianity and diseases, both which irrevocably changed the Inuit landscape. Their livelihood, whaling, was changed in a number of ways in the 1900s before being all but eradicated, having the Inuit have to then pivot to trapping. And now, pollution, privatization of land, legal land and sea rights, along with the ever-constant and seemingly increasing climate change, life in the Arctic seems more fraught than ever. The Arctic people themselves, however, look to their lands, to their people, and to their way of life with pride stating that their environment has always been dangerous. It's always subject to change, and adapting to hardship is not just what they do, but it's who they are and something they've positioned themselves to do well, now and into the future. One of the incredible tools that allow them to do this, much like all other cultures from all over the world, is their storytelling. Inuit spirituality and religion is very deep, currently existing as a living, breathing, oral tradition that shares similarities with Alaskan native religion, but is practiced alongside some Inuit who follow Christian beliefs. And others practice a type of a combination. Something I really dig about the Inuit's spiritual narrative is that their universe, it's not ruled by anyone. There's no divine mother or divine father, no solar deities, no everlasting pit of fire for punishment. It's just us, people and nature. As you'll see more when we get to today's fact. The traditions and the myths of the Inuit primarily help to ward against the dangers found when living in the Arctic. These are called, and I'm sorry for this, I actually don't have a pronunciation, so I'm very hesitant to try, but I think I'm going to. This is out of no disrespect, and there's no way that this is correct, but the word is spelled U-N-I-P-K-A-A-Q-S. The Unumkags. Kayaks. The Unumkayaks. I don't think it's going to get any better, so I'm sorry. I'm going to keep rolling. And these are their folk tales that are said to have taken place in the Tamani, the undefinable past, literally back then. We'll attempt to unpack one of their very first myths, something they told and tell to help explain creation itself. Today, we look to their trickster deity, the raven, and see where the earth and where all of humankind first came from. Once very long ago, There was only darkness. And from that darkness was born the raven. Confused, weakened, and unsure, the raven wandered through existence. Before it remembered, it was the creator. Having recalled this, the raven took plenty of time to gather its strength before flying far away from the darkness to create a new place of light. Calling this place Earth, the raven enjoyed the light but found that it was lonely. So the raven, the creator, began filling earth with plants. 
The raven continued further, making water and shaping mountains. Flying high over the ever-growing planet, the raven noticed large pea pods and smiled, happy that its plants continued to grow. Five days later, one of the larger pea pods burst and out walked a fully grown human. This human, understandably, was very confused. Noticing water at their feet, they drank deeply, which helped to clear their mind. Looking up in the sky, a large dark creature flapped its wings and landed directly in front of them. The raven lifted up one of its wings and pushed its beak up on top of its head like a mask. This was something that allowed the raven to transform between the giant bird-like creature that the raven had just looked like to a more human-like creature that the creator looked like now. Surprised to see that this new being looked so very much like one of its forms, the creator walked around the human. Having looked at this being from every possible angle, the creator stopped walking and simply stared. The human stared back, not quite sure about anything. Finally, the creator spoke. What are you? Where did you come from? Pointing to the open pea pod, the human told the raven, I was in there. Now, I don't know. Raven was flabbergasted. Of course it made the plants, but it had no idea that the plants would go on to make this. Raven was very happy that Earth was able to carry life. And maybe, Raven was a little excited for some company. The raven asked the human if they had eaten, and the human shook their head no. The raven told the human not to move before the raven slid its beak back down from on top of its head onto the front of its face. Flapping its giant wings, the raven took off into the sky. The human waited four days before raven returned, carrying four berries for the human to eat. Holding out its hand, the raven told the human, These berries are for you to eat. I've made it so that they will grow all over. Not waiting for the raven to finish, the human grabbed all four berries and immediately ate them all. The raven shook its head, realizing its error. This was one hungry creature. Berries would not be enough. The raven dropped to the ground and began shaping and molding the clay. Having built two very large mountain sheep, the raven waved its wings over them, and the sheep bounced away into the hillside. Making more and more sheep, the raven watched the human's eyes grow wider and wider. Having learned the lesson of the berries, the raven put the vast majority of the sheep into the mountains so that the human would not be able to take more than just what was needed at that time. The raven continued to spend time with the human, teaching them about the world and how to live in it as well as with it. The raven showed the human the mountains and the sun, the winds and the rain. The raven showed the human how to make a bed in a patch of long, dry moss. And as the human slept, the raven smiled to itself, happy that its creations continued to grow. The raven slept that night as well, and waking up prior to the human, the raven went to a flowing body of water and created different kinds of fish. Once there were plenty of fish swimming in the water, the raven called to the human, waking them up. When the human saw a fish, they were so surprised that they went to grab one, but it quickly swam away. Laughing at the discovery, the raven told the human of the different types of fish and how to properly catch them. 
The raven told the human what type of fish could be found in the mountains, whereas others could be found out in the sea. This way, whether living inland or on the coast, humans might always be able to eat as long as they were near the water. The raven noticed how active the water now was with life, compared to the land. The raven then made mice in order to help fix this. The raven explained to the human that though these creatures weren't the most suitable to eat, that they would help the land to look and feel more alive, just like the water. The raven and the human continued like this for many days. The raven would make some creatures that would challenge a human's ingenuity and teach them how to build, like a beaver. The raven would make some creatures that might provide hide that could offer protections from the elements for a human skin, like the deer. The raven would make sure to keep some away from the human so that the world would stay in balance. While traveling all over the planet, the raven had seen many, many more peapods, and the raven knew that humanity was only just beginning. In fact, that gave the raven an idea. One day, the raven went off to a cave and made a bear. However, once this bear came to life, it stood upon its rear legs and let out such a roar that even the creator was startled. Hurrying back to the human, the raven let them know that it would be best to stay away from that particular animal and other creatures like the bear. It was very fierce and was stronger than a human. The creator hoped that including creatures like this throughout the world would help human beings be mindful of their place in it. Soon after, other humans found their way to the raven, and the creator taught them all how to fend for themselves and how to live in peace on earth. As other humans came together, they began making other humans themselves, and Raven cared for their creations just as he did for his own. Educating them, helping them, loving them, and sharing with them the world. And according to the Inuit people of the Arctic Circle, that is how creation began. Now, what I was going to do was really lean into the comedy of this tale. I mean, come on. I started the entire episode just with laughter. Uh, and, and that's not out of disrespect at all. In fact, I love this friggin' tale. I, I, I actually uh, wasn't going to go with this tale to start because anyone familiar with uh, Inuit lore knows the tale of Sedna. If you're not, you should look it up. It is very amazing. I, I love any vengeful goddess story. And paired with the mythical origin of seals, forget about it. However, uh, when I basically stumbled upon this tale, I, I, I knew that I had to save Sedna for another day. I mean, it had to be this one. I, I was trying to orchestrate an, uh, an Abbott and Costello-like moment when uh, the raven and the human see each other for the first time. But uh, that was then put on pause because I w was more inclined to use a type of kindergarten cop reference about uh, who's your daddy and what does he do? And, and the first thing that the raven says, like, just, <laughs> who are you? Like, what's going on? I just, I, I loved it. I thought the entire story was rife with comedy. Um, what 
I am not sure exactly ages the best with the tale. Truthfully, there's not much. Uh, I really love the spirituality of this culture and how they look to to find balance with the earth. Uh, not placing a a supreme deity above all is a it's a revelation to me, and it, it may straight up change my own personal philosophy quite a bit in moving forward. But but uh, enough gushing that will come in a second. I'm supposed to talk about what I didn't think work, and um. I I actually changed. I uh, <laughs> I altered the only thing that I wasn't exactly sure of. Uh, the original tale is male centric. Uh, the raven is referred to as the father, and the human is given male pronouns. In fact, uh, in some versions, the it's the uh, the Adam and Eve story slash conundrum. The male human is given. A female companion. Uh, see, now this was uh, an easy fix, I thought, and I don't think it took away from the tale. Uh, calling them by gender-neutral pronouns and uh, by title throughout the story, it still tells the tale, but it it makes it more accessible in my thoughts. And uh, sidebar for anyone, primarily men, in my experience, that uh, that want to talk about this not necessarily being cool or kosher. I challenge you to just sit and think for for a second. I, I kind of feel like there are two groups here. One group, uh, maybe it's like a purist, an, an academic who who wants things to be remembered exactly the way that they are, doesn't want to stray too far from that tale. And for that group, I, I kind of get it. I kind of understand. I see what it is that you're looking for, and that brings us to to here to right now i'm i'm letting you know what that tale uh was from from my sources what the origin what the original as much as we can say uh story included or wanted to say um i think it's time to move on and i know uh, <laughs> folklore and fairy tale uh, scholars. That's that's the I, my, that's my bad. That's why I have problems. I get it, but still, it's just my my personal thoughts. And the second group, um, I would like to invite you to take a look at more than fifty percent of the planet. More than fifty percent of humanity uh, is female identifying or gender nonconforming. So what we're talking about is most of humanity, in some cases, being forced to to listen, to hear, to experience stories, just the, the fabric of of our our fiction, our narrative, of our people, where the perspective is from the masculine. What the sense does that make? No pun intended. I mean, none, really. So just kind of, we can all relax. We can have stories from all perspectives, and that that shouldn't offend anyone. What I think works, the balance. Like I said, I mean, I, I feel like I, I overplayed this one a bit, and uh, I'm sorry if it's a little on the nose, but I really, really dig on a culture that's like, hey, hey, let's not live in excess, you know? And I say that right now as someone who ate way too much for dinner, has way too many servings of dessert, sleeps way too little because of work, and works way too much because of oh, the myriad of issues that I have. But 
we don't need to be so extreme, uh, extreme here in, in the West or in our culture, just the way that we live our lives, like for real. I mean, we can just live in the present, respect our surroundings, our, our lives, our people, and everything would still be cool. In fact, everything would probably be a lot more cool. Um, I really do think it's just, you know, simple as that. And kudos to the Inuit uh, and the Trickster Raven for for helping us to to see that. And I mean, this is how this is how they begin. This is their their creation. Oh, uh additionally, to back up for a second, actually check out this quick trickster tale. And by quick, I mean really really quick. The Inuit of Northern Alaska have a tale that says the raven began not as black, but as white. The raven and the loon were going to tattoo each other because, of course, they were. But instead, they ended up in a soot-throwing fight that ultimately turned the loon gray and the raven black. (laughs) I love folklore. Oh my god. Crazy. Now our fact for this episode comes to us via the Sami, an indigenous people of northern Scandinavia as well as northeastern Russia. See, the Sami believe there are three planes of existence. The upper world, the middle world, and the nether world. The gods live in the upper world. Animals, of which we are an animal, and nature live in the middle world, and the dead live in the nether world. This is a, like, gross simplification of a beautiful belief structure and culture, so please research more when you have a moment, because I ain't even touching on the middle world spirits or the netherworld gnome-type creatures, because for our fact, we're going to take a look at the chosen tool of their shaman, the no-ID, that they need in order to do any number of things, including but not limited to spirit walking to either the upper or the netherworld, providing aid via spiritual assistance for hunting parties, securing their prey, and even glimpsing the future. (gasps) Oh! This tool is their drum, intricately decorated according to the needs and positions and thoughts of the family that owned the drum. Check the show notes for links to pictures. They were made out of reindeer skin and seemed to take one of two forms in how they were built. Both are oval, which is pretty cool and different and and not really the way that someone in the West might immediately think of a drum. The rhythmic percussion allows for the skilled Noidi to enter into a trance and even take the form of an animal in order to help the community achieve its goals, whether that's simply maintaining balance or securing a prosperous future. (gasps) Divination. Now, the way that the drum was played would help in assessing what the Noidi needed. When needing to visit the other worlds, the drum would be held in one hand and struck with the other. When needed to gather information about the future, (gasps) I'm going to stop The drum would be struck with a hammer, an avorabi, which literally means index or pointer and metaphysically means destiny, would rest on the drum membrane. Where it stopped once the drum was done being struck with the hammer and what symbol it stopped at is what was used to compose the message that the Noid would interpret. There's a huge article that I linked to and check it out because I, I'm not even sure where to start with more information in telling you about this super cool instrument. And that's the show, folks. Please join us again next episode when we cruise all the way down the Pacific to take a look at an Australian Aboriginal creation myth. 
Thank you, all good folks, for our stylish intro-outro music, which happens to be the song Mr. Mischief. Thank you, Arthur, for our distinguished logo. And, of course, Jacqueline, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the perfect and hilarious cover art. If you have any questions, uh, questions about anything, comments, concerns, please try to keep it constructive and send us an email at info at Or you can head over to social media where we very irregularly post, uh, sorry, hashtag 2020, on Facebook, Twitter, Insta, all with the handle Colored Folklore, all one word. And the best way to check out our corner of the blogosphere, you know it, you love it, is to go directly to the website, www.coloredfolklore.com. There you will find all of our information. For instance, all that juicy contact info I gave you, it's in the header and the footer of every single page. You know, While you're there, take a look at our allies page, which I hope to shift around a little bit sometime soon. It's all good things, no worries. It's uh, nothing crazy major life-altering. Just going to add a section where we'll go over our heroes, podcasts that have inspired us and were actually the basis for our work. There's also a support page. If you like what you hear and would like to hear more, send us your thoughts, your help, your monies. I would absolutely love to be in the position to refuse any and all gifts, help, monies, let alone asking for them in the first place, because that's that's not our style. I mean, you'll notice the show is absent of ads by design, and that hopefully sticks around, but it might not. We've addressed that before. We'll see. Here in the West, we head into the holiday week. And at the end of the current calendar year, we want you all to know life is very hard. We get that. You don't have to help us out. But please, as you can, help yourself out. Help your people out. Help your neighbors out. Help someone out. Please recognize that no matter where you are or who you are on this planet, life is probably harder for someone else that is not you. And more than likely... Someone else is better off than you. Recognize that there are others more privileged and there are others who are in much more difficult situations. This is not taking anything away from you and your amazing, stupendous abilities and trials and life and tribulations and fam. It's just, it's saying that it would behoove us all to have empathy and compassion. Keep others not only in your thoughts and in your hearts, but in your actions and in your words. Be there for others as we hope that others are there for us, you know? Nothing snarky this time around, just love, pure and simple for each and every one of our neighbors. Hey, the next time we talk, it'll be 2021, y'all. Thank you for all that you do, all that you are, and please keep storytelling just as much as you keep story listening. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.